Hello and welcome back again for another year of Lost in Science on your radio. This is Half Now where we talk about science. My name is Stu and on tonight's show I'm going to sort of sadly talk about spiders from Mars um, and why spiders from Mars made the news in the last couple of weeks. But I'll get into detail a bit later in the show. Chris, what have you got I'm for I'm pretty us? excited about the idea of spiders from Mars, Joe, I've got to say. Um, well, look, yeah, it is a new year. There have been quite a few big science stories already this year um, that are still developing as we go to print. So <laughs> we'll cover those in future weeks, I'm sure. I've known we're kind of still on a summer mood, I think. Yeah, um, yeah. definitely. So I chose still warm a, outside. Yeah, well, so I chose about the summariest story I could, which is um, something that also fits into our occasional series on the solar system. I'm going to talk about the sun. And, you know, things like how the sun works, well, at least this is my plan, but I kind of got a bit distracted by the big question, um, what colour is the sun? Oh. Claire, what have you got? Um, well, uh, keeping with the summer theme, I, um, I'm going to talk a little bit about some of my news, New Year's resolutions. Maybe ask what you guys think your New Year's resolutions are and what it's going to take... Like from a behavioural psychological point of view, what it takes to actually um, achieve them? achieve your news resolutions. Mm. Well, I resolve to listen to that story later in the show. Uh, so let's get on with it. So with the recent news about uh, David Bowie, dying in the last couple of weeks. Um, the news of spiders from Mars might seem like a bit of a cruel joke, perhaps, um, but the headlines from a couple of weeks ago did mention just exactly that. At least the weather on Mars has meant the appearance of a sea of spider-like veins on the surface of the planet. So Mars. you're kind of stretching. Well, there's spiders on Mars rather than spiders from Mars. Spider legs? Just sort the of, legs? Well, yeah, just sort of veiny patterns, oh. really. Mm. Um, but it's an annual event. It happens every Martian spring, which they are coming into now. Oh. Well, there's actually no one there, but <laughs> I guess the little the little Mars rovers are coming into spring. So uh, just like Earth, Mars has seasons. Uh, and, of course, the length of each season are different to, on Earth. So the spring lasts for seven Earth months, um, just because the planet has a different orbit than Earth does. Um, so the starburst spidery patterns appear as a result of frozen carbon dioxide, which we would call dry ice mm -hmm. here on Earth. Um, and the frozen carbon dioxide melts as the planet warms after winter. They have ice caps on Mars that form around the poles of the planet, just like we have ice caps on Earth, only mm -hmm. they're carbon dioxide. Uh, and the ice caps melt and freeze seasonally and they grow and shrink, just like the ice caps on Earth. So the dry ice goes directly from a frozen state into a gaseous state. So it sublimates. Mm. Is yeah. that the word? Sublimates. Sublimation. Yeah. yeah. Um, so if you've ever had dry ice, you see that it doesn't doesn't melt into a liquid. It goes straight from a frozen block of ice into mm. cool, smoky mist, um, which is great for uh, special effects on cheap uh, TV productions <laughs> and stage shows. This uh, frozen dry ice goes straight into a gaseous state and it travels in tunnels underneath the ice caps and then it emerges through vents and uh, spray uh, carries with it dust from the surface of the planet below the ice. Um, and as it squirts out through these vents, it sprays dust everywhere and these 
and makes these fine feathery, mm. spidery oh. patterns around would, the video. So it's, actually, that... so it's actually the dust that is creating the spider mm. leg pattern. Yeah. Would we call that stardust? It could be stardust. I mean, it's all stardust really, isn't it? If it was stardust, what sort of stardust would it be? I'm looking for the answer, Ziggy, but, you know. <laughs> uh, we, could, we could call it Ziggy stardust. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's find a way. So the most recent photographs, as I said, they were taken of the phenomenon in the planet's southern hemisphere. So mm-hmm. obviously it's spring in the southern hemisphere yep. of Mars. Unlike the reports from last year of a Martian crab in a photograph on the surface of Mars, mm-hmm. these are real, um, but they're not obviously the kind of spiders from Mars people might have been hoping for. So that the crab wasn't real is what you're saying? The crab wasn't. It was just... It's there just was supposed those... to be a loaf of bread as well. Yeah, what? and there was, there, was a, yeah. there was a woman holding a spoon <laughs> and right. all sorts of weird things <laughs> people see in these photographs. Oh, there was a rat as well or something, wasn't yeah. there? Yeah, there was, there was a rodent. Right. Yeah. There was a rodent. Yeah. So, Chasing the spiders, obviously. So these photos uh, of the spring blooms were taken using the High Resolution Imaging Science Experiment, a.k.a. HiRISE, uh, a camera on board the Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter. And most of the aerial photographs we see of the Martian surface come from the same equipment from the Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter. Um, and these photos are in the visible spectrum. Um, and the orbiter actually has the largest telescope ever launched as part of a deep space mission. So this uh, Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter was launched in 2005 and its primary job was to scout for landing sites for future Mars missions. Um, and it's kind of finished that but it's sort of still just floating around taking photos of things. And they can actually, they actually built it so it's kind of future-proof. So they, every now and then they flash the memory of mm. the uh, orbiter so it can update, gets, it gets uh, firmware upgrades and oh, stuff wow. like that, just like a Great. mobile phone or something like yeah. that. Um, so they can actually just keep using it until it fails at some point in the future. Um, it was also the, the same orbiter that took pictures of ice in the craters that they hadn't yep. seen before. Uh, measured the volume of the ice caps and recorded flowing water in 2011 on Mars. Mm. Um, so it's actually sent back 247 terabits of data about Mars, which is more information than every other mission combined that's left Earth for another planet. So this one orbiter has sent back more data about Mars than all of the other missions that have ever been sent to other planets. Employee um, of the month. Um, it's also orbited Mars over 40,000 times and has travelled further in orbit around Mars than it travelled to reach Mars in the first place. Wow. So it's a pretty, it's a pretty cool little uh, uh, So hard working. Um, didn't take a break over the Christmas <laughs> period, but it's going to be up there until, as I said, until, uh, until its batteries run out or the equipment fails, whichever comes first. Or, mm. or it reaches 65 and... Retirement just retirement in. age, yeah. and it'll just yeah. get a nice yeah. little a little uh, <laughs> retirement village on the surface, which may which may be happening yeah. by the time it retires. Yeah, good luck, little Mars reconnaissance orbiter. in science and look like i said in the intro the important question i want to ask is what color is the sun but first let us have a bit of a look at how the don't sun look works. at the sun chris 
Don't gonna, look at the sun. We're gonna we're gonna talk about then how the sun works. All right, okay. Um, I'm just gonna go through it quickly because it's um it's a surprisingly complicated you know branch of science. There's still a lot we don't know. So I'm just gonna give kind of a Wikipedia level overview. Not saying that's already <laughs> do my research. Can I just say though that you know how you know how Wikipedia they they will when they talk about a topic they'll say where the the name came from and so they actually have a token effort at saying where the word sun may have come from. I'm going to bet that's one of the first things that was named and so its name didn't actually come from anywhere. Other things were named after, after it. it. Really, I mean, let's be honest here. Didn't they, so they didn't name it after Sunday. No, no. Well, they they tried to say this thing that it may have, name has something to do with the word south and it's like I think you probably named the sun before south, you named probably. south. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Anyway, yeah, so where does where does the sun get its power? This is an actual question, not just a rhetorical question. Atoms. Yeah. Um uh, uh nu- nuclear fission? Fusion. 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 Yes, it is nuclear fusion. Thank you. Gosh, that was painfuler than I thought. <laughs> um yes, this is nuclear fusion. This was a theory that was first suggested by the astronomer Sir Arthur Eddington in nineteen twenty. Um, before then, one of the theories was one created by um, Lord Kelvin and Hermann von Helmholtz. And they had this idea, which is actually a genuine idea, that if you get a big ball of gas out in space, it will kind of collapse under its own gravity. As it does so, it'll heat up. Um, it was kind of a plausible idea. It will heat up without any other kind of you know energy source, whatever, just by its own gravity. Um, the trouble is that it doesn't last for very long. It would mean that the sun is only kind of a few million years old rather than billions of years old. Uh, so you will actually hear this idea being trotted out by creationists from time to time, just to you know, just to warn you, be wary of that. Um, we have since you know discovered that it is actually nuclear fusion. However, the the whole kind of compressing gas thing, it is still a real phenomenon, and you see it with you know, big giant gas planets like Jupiter and Saturn, which kind of glow in the infrared. This is a little bit of non-sun trivia for you. Um, yeah, nuclear fusion though. Yeah, so what happens in nuclear fusion is that hydrogen nuclei are forced together to make helium at very high temperatures and pressures. And when I say very high temperatures, I'm talking about 15.7 million Kelvin. Yes, um, Lord Kelvin, the guy who talked about the, the collapsing thing, he also, the Kelvin unit is named after him, of course. Um, so yeah, this is this is this very high temperatures and high pressure that's going on in the center of the sun. This is the solar core. It's only about a quarter of the, less than a quarter of the, the sun's sort of diameter is the, the sun's core, and that's where all the fusion takes place. What is the sun's diameter? If um in 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 what what four units? times the core in um no it's about one hundred nine times the diameter of Earth okay yeah yeah so so when you say that um helium uh, hydrogen gets fused into helium is that yep. the only element that comes out of the sun so is only hydrogen being fused into helium. Uh, or yes. do or do or is there fusion of helium into other things as well? As far as I know, with the sun, it's pretty much only yeah hydrogen into helium, and um, there are a couple of different ways that reaction takes place. But yeah, it's basically hydrogen into helium. So it's in it's only in like much bigger yeah, stars yeah, yeah. where you get other elements. elements. Yeah, yeah, right. There are okay. those other elements inside the sun, but they yeah they catalyze the reaction in certain circumstances. Okay. Um, so yes, yeah, so that's the core. Outside the core, the next sort of the, la- the lake's layer, which is kind of up to about 70% of the sun's radius, is called the radiative zone. And it's called that because heat is transferred there through radiation. So basically the gamma rays, which are given off by the nuclear fusion in the core, make their way through the radiative zone. But the sun is, as you may have heard, it's um, made out of plasma, which is ionized gas. So it's charged particles. The sun and is a miasma of incandescent plasma. As the song <laughs> goes. And... 
Electromagnetic radiation, like light or gamma rays, interacts with charged particles, and so it doesn't make it through plasma very easily. So it takes a long time for these photons to actually get through this radiated zone. It takes, it's been calculated, it can take about 171,000 years for a single photon to leave the solar core wow. and get through the radiated zone. Whoa, that is a really it's long pretty time significant. per photon. Yeah. So the light that is hitting us today started off in the middle of the sun well, it's, before there was any humans It's changed. Around. It goes through a number of different things. So it goes from the radiative zone, it hits then an area called the convective zone. And this is where heat is transferred by convection. So this is kind of a bubbling, tumbling, churning, roiling sort of zone on the sun. And this is this is um, about yeah, kind of the rest, most of the rest of the sun's sort of diameter. And this kind of gives you this sort of granulated surface of the sun you see in the, the photographs through, taken through telescopes or helioscopes, as I believe they're called. Um, but there is a thin layer on top of that called the photosphere, and that is where the light comes from, because this is where it finally cools down enough for it to turn into a gas and light can get through. And so the photosphere is what we actually see. Um, its temperature is about 6,000 Kelvin. Uh, this is also where you get sunspots. Now, sunspots are areas that are caused by magnetic fields created by all this churning plasma below there. And sometimes uh, the magnetic fields, they kind of act against the convention, and so you get a cooler and darker spots. No, they, it's not just the freckles on my skin. No, it's not just freckles on your skin. These are transient. <laughs> these are temporary. They go away. Oh. They also normally come in pairs. You get a, like a north pole and a south pole kind of pair. Like they're pairs of sunspots. Oh, really? Not on opposite sides of the sun. They're oh. just kind of paired up because it's a right. magnetic field that like joins oh, up. Oh, right. Um, mm. Yeah, and they also, the sunspots, you get more sunspots every 11 years. Um, this is called the solar cycle. Um, when you get more sunspots, that's when you have more magnetic activity. You get a lot more stuff going on. You get like solar flares and that sort of thing. And you also, considering you've got a lot of spots on the surface of the sun, you also get more solar radiation. So there you go. Um, above the photosphere, there is an atmosphere and then things like the corona, which is what you see when there's an eclipse in that sort of glowing thing around mm, the sun. Mm. So the corona is kind of a lot thinner, but it is actually a plasma again. It sort of heats up again to a few million Kelvin, and but it's thin so the light can still get through. Um, and the corona is kind of what you get the solar wind from. So charged particles get blown out from the, the corona and they form the solar wind, which then buffets the rest of the solar system. So yeah, that is a quick tour through the sun. Any questions? Good. Not okay. So what color is the sun was my first question, I believe. Mm, I'm going to go with uh, uh, really bright yellow. Yeah. So you're saying bright yellow? Yeah, like the color of um, the crowns I used to color it in as a five-year-old. Very good. Very good. And Stu, you're saying? Uh, well, I said white because that was the first thing that popped into my head. Yeah. Well, okay. So the you may have heard I was saying the photosphere, which is a bit we see, is about 6,000 Kelvin. So from that, it should be white. Um, and but don't just take my word for it. You can actually look at it yourself. Um, no, don't look at not the sun. For, not don't for don't very look at the sun. Um, but if you take a piece of paper outside in the daytime, um, hold it up, you'll see that it looks white in well, the sunlight. If, it, if it's a white piece of paper, if it's a white piece of paper. Yeah. yeah. And if you've ever done any filming, any videoing, then you notice that sunlight is basically the definition of white light. Mm. It's pretty much what you use. But you're quite right. People think that the sun is yellow. People talk about the sun being yellow. Kids colour it in as yellow. Um, the colour gold, so the metal gold associated with, with um, the sun. Basically, people think of it as yellow. No one quite knows why people think the sun is yellow. This is kind of a mystery. Um, there are some theories, of course. There's always going to be theories about these things. Um, there's um, So there's one theory is that... Um, okay, so the sun... 
does lose kind of when it comes to the atmosphere some blue light gets scattered that's why we see the the, the sky being blue when it's away from the sun um when it's kind of directly overhead though not much is scattered and so it's it's white but when it gets down low in the sky then mm. you get more scattering and it gets a bit yellowy and this is where you have you know the the golden hour they talk about just before sunset when that's a nice sort of soft golden light mm. And yeah, that's beautiful. It is beautiful. Yeah. You see it in wedding photographs, in the, the films of <laughs> Terence Malick. Oh yeah, um, and, and every every day around sunset. Yes, <laughs> and every day around out there sunset. in the real world. Yeah, <laughs> good point. Um, also, just after sunrise as well. So they tell me. Um, so yeah, so this is this is um, one of the theories is that when it's getting down, it's kind of the light isn't as bright then, and so this is when you can actually sort of start to look at or sort of glance at the sun. Mm. So when people actually see the sun. It's kind of more at the yellowy side of things rather than because when it's white, you're not going to look at it. Or even at sunsets, sometimes it can be like that really sort of um, red, like deep red color. Yeah, it can. That's when you can actually see it. But no one gets their red crayon out to color in the, the sun. No, but if I, I if I was drawing a sunset with a horizon, yeah. I might oh, trade in my absolutely. yellow crown. Look, there could be other reasons. It could just be like a cultural thing that, you know, everyone's done it so everyone else does it. It could be that when you're a kid and you've got to draw the sun on a white piece of paper, you can't use the white colouring in pencil because you won't see it so you have to That's use the right. yellow one yeah. it could just be a, purely a practical thing I don't know no one knows for certain why we think the sun is yellow but it's not really yellow it's actually white Australia on the Community Radio Network, you're listening to Lost in Science. Now let me ask you, Chris, do you, did you guys make a New Year's resolution? What, what, and if so, what was it? Uh, I resolved years ago not to make New Year's resolutions, so oh, I'm, I'm safe. Have tricky. you kept that resolution? Yeah, I have. Oh, very good. <laughs> Well, I'm going to ask about how you managed <laughs> yeah. to keep that resolution. Yeah. It's soon. easy. I just completely ignore it every year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I yeah. I also don't normally make New Year's resolutions. Um, yeah. However, this year I didn't actually deliberately make a New Year's resolution this year, but I did actually confess. I confess I did join the gym on the 31st of December, only because I had waived the joining fee, and I thought this is my chance. Um, but uh, you know, I told people I joined the gym on the 31st of December. And said, oh yes, of course you did. You know, ah. as in, yeah, it's like the obvious thing that you do. Well, that's, I mean, that's very interesting. There's a couple of like, I mean, that one of the most popular New Year's resolutions is to get more exercise mm-hmm. and um, joining a gym and yeah. that is, yeah, that's yeah. a surefire way to do it, Chris. Have you, have you been? I have been. I have been a few times. A few times. Yes. Great. It's not even the end of January. <laughs> Good one. Um, well, apparently... Apparently, forty to fifty percent of people make New Year's resolutions. Um, most, and like I said, most commonly they're either about exercise, maybe to uh, lose weight, eat healthier, um, maybe have a better work-life balance. But I always wonder how often these goals are achieved. We haven't asked an important question here, though. Oh, what was that? What what did what about you? What about yourself? Oh, oh was what was my New Year's resolutions? Well, I had a couple of New Year's resolutions. Um, one of them was I wanted to um, eat less chips, As like hot, hot chips. chips. I end up eating hot chips maybe about three times a week. So hot one of my news, I know they're really good. <laughs> and one of my news resolutions was to eat less hot chips. Why? Um, 
Oh, well, I just think they're unhealthy. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe once a week is probably enough to have hot chips. Right now. Yeah. <laughs> so that was my New Year's resolution. Okay. So um, after doing a bit of research, uh, it seems that people find it quite difficult to fulfill their New Year's resolutions. Uh, estimates are pretty low and the of the very scant research that I could find um, – Apparently, eighty-eight percent of people fail at their resolutions. Wow! Yeah, which is which is pretty high, pretty high. Um, so I thought I'd look at some of the psychological research that might be able to teach us a thing or two about the process of making resolutions and mm-hmm. how you can sort of make them stick, sort of like a quantitative self-improvement type thing. So, firstly, you need to choose the right resolution. Uh, now, when you make a goal, mm-hmm. do you make a smart goal? Oh, um, yeah. S- systematic, oh. measurable. Yes, yes. Achievable. I'm not just talking like, about an intellectually. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you a, get these in your corporate training all the time. That's right. That's right. So the acronym SMART stands for specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and within a time frame. Okay. Um, and it's a process that's now a standardized practice for designing and sticking to goals in things like health rehabilitation um, or reaching benchmark sort of educational outcomes in um, in schools and tertiary institutions and those sorts of things. Um, and it makes a lot of sense. I mean, you're more likely to succeed in something if you plan ahead mm-hmm. and um, think of all the things that could stand in your way between you and your goal and then work out how to solve those problems. So making specific goals that um, that you can actually measure and, you know, that once you do them, well, are actually achievable in the first instance. So does not eating chips fall into a, a goal? Is it a... Well, I... I, sort of, yes, because it is sort of measurable. measurable. Yeah. If I eat chips three times a week, yeah, and I say I only want to eat chips once a week, that's quantitative. The, yeah, that yeah. is that is measurable. That it's it's achievable. It is well within my um, my physicality to stop eating yeah. chips twice per week. Okay. Yeah, I think it's probably a pretty smart and goal. Time timely, like well, it yeah. happens straight away, does it? Yeah, it happens straight away. You've achieved a goal. <laughs> Oh, no, but then um, you have to continue. Right, so, so throughout, throughout the year. Throughout the year. Right, yeah, yeah. so it's a stretch so goal. December 2016, I will be lining up the plates of chippies. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so interestingly, though, it isn't just planning that leads to success of news resolutions. Right. It's also about how you phrase the question. Oh. Um, so... This is a little bit more obscure, but psychology researchers have found that asking people a question about performing a target behavior influences their future performance of that behavior. Um, So, for example, if someone asks you, Chris, directly, Mm -hmm. are you going to exercise more this year? And you answer that question by saying, yes, I am. You're more likely to succeed in exercising more than if you just said out loud, I'm going to exercise more this year. Oh, okay. So if someone asks you ask it, it's more likely? Yeah. Claire, are you going to eat fewer chips this year? Yes, I'm going to eat fewer chips this year. <laughs> now, it sort of makes sense because, um, of course, you're more likely to do something if you've talked about it with your friends. Like you told your friends that you're going to join the gym and then you, you know, because they're now in on that you're more likely to oh, go I to see. the gym. Peer pressure. Yeah, yeah peer, well, peer pressure. People are going to say, oh, I've been to the gym lately. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And you'll it's have happened, to say it's happened no. It's happened already in the last 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Um, but an interesting aside to this, in this particular study, the test subjects were also, um, they also asked themselves the questions. So they said to themselves, like, um, like, like, I would just ask myself, Claire, are you going to eat chips once a week this year? Yes. Am I going to eat chips today? Yeah, yeah. And, and that was enough yeah. to make them more inclined to achieve their goal. Okay, wow. Just self-talk. Just, just self-talking and asking yeah. questions. Mm. So, um, yeah, that's, that's another sort of way that you can, you can achieve your goals. Just ask yourself some questions. So do you think, you know, you could, you could make, make your own little podcast of just talking to yourself about what, what you're going to do and listen to it? Listening Na- to nagging it yourself. Again. Nag yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Self-nagging. It might be the worst thing in the world, but it would probably help you achieve your goals. Hmm. Um, so now we know how to make resolutions, um, how to structure them into a question to mm-hmm. help you achieve them. Um, but, you know, the likelihood of actually achieving them um, and how much does willpower come into it? So you might be quite, you might have quite a lot of willpower to go to the gym right now, but in a couple of months, will you have the willpower to go to the gym after, you know, January is, you know, just a, just a distant month in your rearview mirror? Well, we shall see. I'm not going to keep paying for the gym membership if I don't go to it. I'll tell you that now. It's now. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, when it comes to eating chippies, I'm, I don't have quite, I don't have much willpower. Okay. Um, even if I do make that very, specific smart goal um how am i going to stick to it do you live next door to a fish and chip shop no i don't but around the corner from one right (laughs) um now i don't know if you guys know this but according to behavioral psychologists willpower and self-control is actually something that can be used up it it can become depleted so the more you use it the less you have but is it like a finite resource or is it like a renewable resource? Is it's it- a renewable resource, but right. if you're doing multiple things and multiple different activities, yeah. um, then you can deplete it in, in one activity and okay. then you've got nothing left for the other one. So this was famously studied by uh, Roy Bowmeister um, in something that's called the Radish and Chocolate Experiment, where researchers took participants and fed them either a delicious chocolate treat or forced them to eat raw unseasoned radishes. After this, the participants were asked to solve a puzzle, which unbeknownst to them was unsolvable. What they found was that the the participants who ate the delicious chocolate biscuit um, spent a longer period of time trying to solve the puzzle when compared to the people who ate the unpalatable radishes. So the people who ate the radishes obviously became disenchanted with life um, and radishes as a whole and quit the puzzle a lot sooner. So had they used up their willpower or had they just like... They used they up their willpower, eating the radishes so they and foregoing the, radish. the chocolate. Yeah. Okay. So they were doing something they didn't like doing. They were doing something they didn't like doing. And then like they doing. gave up on the next task they were given. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they gave up a lot quicker than the control weren't given anything. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, you could argue the radish eaters just had a bad taste in their mouth altogether, which they probably did because... Mm. Raw radishes can't be that delicious. I like raw radishes. Oh, do you? Mm. Mm. They're quite tasty. Um, but this, the researchers suggested that willpower and self-control is a limited resource, which we can um, use to either eat radishes or solve puzzles, but not necessarily 
both. So if you want to keep your New Year's resolutions, you've got to eat a lot of chocolate biscuits. This is what I'm hearing. Well, that's one way to look at it, Chris. So you could re- you could cut down in chips by eating more chocolate biscuits. <laughs> uh, sounds, it sounds like a perfect solution to me. Yeah. Yeah. Or or um, if you are, are making a couple of different news resolutions, yeah. don't try and achieve them at the same time because yeah. you've got a well of self will okay. that can be depleted. Right. So structure them across the year, and then right. your well won't run dry. Okay. Your will well won't run your will dry. Well. That's all we've got time for on this episode of Lost in Science. Thanks for tuning in and joining us. Lost in Science is recorded at the studios of 3CR in Melbourne and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network with the financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. If you want to talk to us, talk back to us, uh, you can get in touch. We have a Gmail account, lostinsight at Gmail. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter and on the Facebook Uh, And if that's not enough lost in science for you, you can always tune in again next week where the team will once again get lost Lost in science. listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.